0: Technically, it's against the law to discriminate here based on age or sex or ethnicity, skin color, nationality or religion. But in a recent Gulf business salary survey, it revealed that for the same jobs, on average, Asians are paid less than Arabs and Westerners. This might be normal. But is it right? One woman wrote in a question to the national news. She said, I recently started work for a recruitment company and I've been asked to publish job advertisements that ask for a particular nationality or for a woman in a specific age range. I am uncomfortable about this and I didn't think it was right, so I asked about it. I was told That doing this is fine here and no one cares. Tonight we consider the sin of partiality. The world may say it's fine, but what does God think about it? In James chapter 2, verses 1 to 13, we find that partiality is incompatible with Christianity. James begins with a command for Christians. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Now that command is simple and straightforward. Do not show partiality. But what is partiality? Specific to this text, partiality is favoring someone Or discriminating against someone based on outward appearances. You could also consider it more broadly partiality is when you base your treatment of someone on something that should not be the basis of your treatment of them. It's like when my parents got married, my dad's parents didn't like that my mom was from the Philippines. They told him, you can't marry her. And my mom's parents didn't like that my dad was from India. They said, you can't marry him. And what was the basis of that distinction? It was simply where they were born. Now, as we look back at verse 1, it'd be easy to skip over the rest of that verse. But notice how partiality is incompatible with Christianity. James says it's a command for those who hold the faith in Christ Jesus. How can you practice partiality while you profess Christ? And notice the title given to Jesus. The Lord of glory. It's those with eyes of faith that have seen Jesus for who he truly is. He's the Lord of glory. How can you think about the glory of Christ? The one who, though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. How can you think about that Christ and then go and discriminate against your poor brother? But apparently, partiality is a pitfall for the church. Because James provides us with an example that happens in the church. Look at verses 2-4. through Now, as we look at this example, it's important to note that no true church openly and blatantly celebrates partiality. You're not going to find it in the statement of faith. It's not going to be in the church covenant. You'll see nothing about it on their website. So, how do you detect this subtle sin? Well, what you have to do is look at the culture of the church how do they treat one another? How do they treat visitors? In James' example, two visitors show up to church. It's not an unlikely scenario. Perhaps today we have some visitors here. The first one to walk in the room is noticeably rich. The shimmer from his gold jewelry catches your eye. You can smell the rich leather from his Gucci shoes. You know he's got money. He just seems important. Maybe he's a celebrity. Maybe he has connections. You think, I'll go introduce myself to him. And as that thought pops through your head, another man walks in the room. His clothing catches your eye too, though the word that you'd use to describe it is shabby, not sophisticated. He's obviously poor. Maybe he doesn't even have a bank account. It seems he hasn't showered in weeks. You wonder if he might be homeless. Now, it's safe to assume that this church's doctrine was just fine. Perhaps even later in the service, they preached the gospel. What about their culture? What about how they treat one another? Well, we see what happens in verse 3. The church favors the rich man. Multiple people talk to him. He's given special attention. The church honors the rich man. They make sure that he has a seat even a special seat right at the front of the room. The church rejects the poor man. No one talks to him. He's not even given a seat. They tell him, could you go stand over there? The church humiliates the poor man. They tell him, well, if you must sit, could you at least sit beneath us? Beneath our feet. Now James says this behavior might be normal in the world, but he gives us his diagnosis for the church in verse 4. The church is sick. Something is wrong. They've made distinctions. Their judgments are wrong. Their decisions are evil. If you're a visitor with us, maybe this is the first time you've gathered with Covenant Hope Church Let me just tell you that you're welcome. It doesn't matter your nationality or your sex or your skin color. You are welcome at this church. And I do hope that you read our statement of faith. It's important. It's what we believe as a church. And I hope you also read our church covenant. That's how we live as a church. But do not forget, let me encourage you, watch our lives Watch how we treat one another. See how we treat those who aren't like us. And I hope that you see that by the power of the Holy Spirit, there's something different going on in this room with these people than what's happening in the world. And Covenant Hope Church, we especially need to protect our church against this subtle sin. So as we consider the rest of the text, let's look at four motivations against partiality. Four motivations against partiality. James begins with God. In verse 5, how God treats the poor. Many believe that equality is fundamental. It's a fundamental human right. Now, that's true. It is a fundamental human right. But it's only true because of God. Because without God, who's to say that we actually shouldn't treat, to treat the rich? better than the poor. Maybe that's what we should do. If God didn't exist, that might be a possibility. And if you look at the world's estimation of the poor, you can see the the world view the poor as expendable. They're unimportant. But how does God treat the poor? James says God chose the poor. He chose them. Now, as we consider the poor we need to consider who James is talking about. He's likely talking about both those who are financially poor and those who are spiritually poor. And he doesn't mean that God's chosen all the poor for salvation or that God's chosen only the poor for salvation. What James means is that God generally chooses the poor. And that's perplexing. We have to ask ourselves, why has God chosen them? Now, as we look at the whole New Testament, it seems that the answer is because God delights to shower his grace, especially on those whom the world has discarded. If you're poor and you're with us this evening, that's good news for you. And if you look at the life of Jesus, that's actually exactly what you're going to find. In the beginning of Jesus's ministry, he proclaimed, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Jesus reached out and touched the lepers. Jesus forgave the sins of the paralytic and then he healed him. Jesus dined not with the religious elite. He dined with sinners. Big sinners like prostitutes and tax collectors and demon-possessed people. And you know what really annoyed the religious leaders of the day? It's the fact that there was no one too lowly for Jesus Christ. And that includes you, and that includes me. And God not only chose the poor, James says He honored them as heirs. God promised the kingdom of God to them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, Jesus said, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, it's possible that you move to Dubai for wealth. And it's also possible that you'll never get it. You need to come to terms with that. You may never be rich or financially prosperous. You actually may always have to live paycheck to paycheck. But, if you're a Christian... If you love God, then you have an unimaginable inheritance that's been promised to you by the King of the universe. In Christ, on the cross, God reverses all of our fortunes. He's done this for every single Christian. Do you realize your great worth in Jesus Christ if you've been told your entire life that you are lesser because of your skin color or your passport nationality, let me remind you of God's heart for you. God loves the unimportant, the nobodies, the poor, the destitute, the harassed, the helpless, the downtrodden. You are one of his people. And unfortunately, the church doesn't always reflect this reality. The church doesn't always reflect the character of Christ. So, Covenant Hope Church, we need to listen to this especially because James turns in verse 6. And what does he do? He rebukes the Christians. He says, You have dishonored the poor man. Notice the irony. Those whom God honors, the church dishonors. Is James talking about us? Is there any way that we as a church are guilty of partiality? And friends, I don't have time in this sermon to list off a bunch of questions for you to consider, but let me ask you to search your own heart. And to consider if you could be guilty of this. When we treat other people better or worse based on their passport or skin color or their sex or their age or their marital status or any other distinction, we actually lie about the character of God. So if you're an employer, this text means that you should not pay people differently based on their sex or their nationality. And if you're a parent, this means that your daughters are of equal value in the eyes of God as your sons. Partiality contradicts the very heart of God. But don't just think about how God treats the poor. Another motivation James gives is how the rich treat us. James tells these Christians, you think by honoring the rich with the best seats that they'll return the favor? look what actually happens verse 6 the rich turn and they oppress the church they drag them into the court then in verse 7 the rich the ones the church honored turn and blaspheme the honorable name of Jesus Christ the church give the rich the glory the rich blaspheme the lord of glory this should rid our minds of the subtle thought that if we just had the wealthy and the powerful and the influential in the church, then we'd really make an impact for the kingdom of God. Partiality to the rich backfires. We need to think about how the rich treat us. We also need to learn from the law. James has already considered the law in the first chapter. If you remember, notice all the different ways James refers to the law. It's the perfect law in chapter 1, verse 25. He also calls it the law of liberty in the same verse. Here in verse 8, James calls it the royal law. Royal because you shall love your neighbor as yourself was given to us in the Old Testament, fulfilled and expanded even by Jesus Christ the King. Christians, are heirs and citizens of a different kingdom. A heavenly one. So we obey Christ's law over every worldly government and authority. And partiality breaks this law. Perhaps you need to consider your friendships in the church. Is it possible that you don't have any friendships with people who are different than you? If that's true, you might be practicing partiality. You can't claim to love your neighbor, James says, and show partiality. This is sin. And it's not just one law that you've broken. James says you've broken the whole law. He even gives this illustration. You could keep the whole law, but if you fail in just one point, you're guilty of all of it. You can't pick and choose. I'll obey these laws but I'll let slide these laws. God's law is one, indivisible whole. Look at that example in verse 11. It's almost silly. Who would say this? I know I've murdered, but I've never committed adultery, so I'm good, right? And perhaps you could even say you've never murdered anyone. Perhaps you could even say you've never committed adultery. But if you've shown partiality, James says you've broken the law of God and you stand condemned if you're not a christian how do you measure yourself up against god's law can you think of even just one instant when you've broken god's law measure yourself up also against the lawgiver himself god how do you fare do you sense your utter inability to keep god's law Do you see your own sinfulness in how you treat other people? Do you feel your need for a Savior? Because remember how God treats those who are poor and needy. That's how He can treat you even though you've sinned. So turn to Christ Jesus. And for those of us who are in Christ, how freeing is it to consider this text and remember That we can actually obey the law of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus fulfilled the law on your behalf. And because the Father and the Son sent the Spirit to dwell in you, you can now love your neighbor as yourself. You're free from selfishness, you're free from partiality. And this is the compelling community that God is creating at this church and at every local church. It's a community that transcends all natural bonds and limitations by the blood of Jesus Christ. You know, a couple years ago, this was before we, um, when we met on Fridays. It was also when we didn't have to wear face masks. And yeah, that, w- that was a time. It was back when you can pull tables together at the food court. I remember we were at Ibn and there were about 40 or 50 of us eating together. A local man approached a member of our church and he said, who are you guys? Because especially in a nation of 200 nationalities, our little church, our little compelling community is a spectacle to the world. This is the supernatural unity in diversity that the spirit creates. Partiality doesn't just break the law. Consider the fact that it's boring. It's boring to just have friendships and relationships with people who look and talk just like you. Because when we get to heaven, remember what's going to be there. The room's going to look a lot like this with people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Let's consider that last motivation against partiality in verse 12. It's a sobering reminder. James tells us to look to the day of judgment. Because we are those who are not to judge. We are those who are to be judged under the law. The Apostle Paul says there is a day coming. I love how he describes it. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Jesus, the Lord of glory, is coming back. A trumpet will sound. And Christ will repay everyone for what he has done. And Christians should not just look to the day of judgment. They're actually to look forward to the day of judgment. We're to live in light of the day of judgment. Paul says each of us will give an account of himself to God. Every word we speak should be in light of that day. Every action in light of that day. And we're not to be frightened by that day. That's not what James taught earlier in chapter 1. He said that day will be the day when Christians receive the crown of life. The day of judgment is a day to look forward to. It's a day when we receive the crown because Jesus Christ went to the cross. And Christians should not only look forward. In verse 13, we say that Christians should look backward. They should look back to the cross. That's where mercy and triumph. Mercy triumphs over judgment. That's where it happens. It's at the cross. Though each of us has broken God's law, though we've each shown partiality, God still sent the Lord of glory down. Jesus Christ never showed partiality. Consider that for a moment. He never treated others in a manner that they should not be treated with dignity and respect and honor. That's how he interacted with every single person. Because he was perfect. He had never broken God's law ever in his entire life. And consider how he was treated. They didn't take him and honor him. They crucified Him on a cross for our sins in our place. That's where Jesus took on God's wrath. The judgment that we deserved. And He forgave our sins. And friends, if you're not a Christian, you too need to look to judgment day. There's a day coming. It's soon. When you'll stand before the Lord and you'll give an account. What hope will you have on that day other than Jesus Christ? Turn to Him. Ask Him to forgive your sin. Repent and believe in Jesus. The Gospel reminds us of God's great mercy in Jesus Christ. Therefore, when we extend mercy to others, when we don't show partiality, all we're actually doing is showing that we have received God's mercy ourselves. God shows no partiality. It doesn't matter if you're rich. It doesn't matter if you're poor. It doesn't matter if you're white or black or brown. If you recognize that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, then mercy will triumph over judgment for you today if you turn to Jesus. What does God think of partiality? We've seen in James chapter 2, it's incompatible with Christianity. So let's pray. And as we dwell on God's mercy, let's ask the Lord for help to rid our hearts of this sin. Let's pray. Lord, you are not like us. Would you help us to gaze on the glory of Christ and meditate on your great mercy? and rid our hearts of any partiality. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.